X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's Friday, May 22nd. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today begins Willamette Week's Best of Portland Voting. We are humbled to be nominated for Best Radio Station for the sixth year in a row. Please vote for us. You can at bit.ly slash x-ray best radio. For a large organization, doesn't mean much. For us, it's a really nice thing. Today, back in the day, May 22nd, the wagon train of 1843 headed for the Oregon Territories. An estimated 700 to 1,000 emigrants left for Oregon. Originally led by John Gant, a former U.S. Army captain and a fur trader who was contracted to guide the train for a dollar a person. Also today, back in the day, May 22, 1902, in the early days of the Progressive Era, Teddy Roosevelt signed the bill making Crater Lake a national park. And today on The Local, your quick six, focus on local races with Alex Zielinski from the Portland Mercury and an interview with Rob Harris and Sarah Wolk sharing results from the Independent Party of Oregon's primary. They did it in a different way. And first up, it is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Portland City Council passed the budget, $5.6 billion. Some changes to the budget, $50,000 to bolster security for council members, $633,200 for the Portland Street Response Pilot Program. It's proposed as a third branch of the first responder system. The pilot team will be made up of a medic and a crisis worker. Street Roots and others have been advocating for a while that a lot of 911 calls don't need an armed police officer or a fire truck. Also, $547,000 in local cannabis tax dollars to fund social equity grants. Some drama. Here's one example. The mayor had proposed defunding the Portland Film Office in the proposed budget. He introduced an amendment on Wednesday providing Prosper Portland, which oversees the office, with about half the request, $72,000. The mayor said the remaining 50% of the budget can be supported with an increased fee on film permits. If the film industry values it so much, maybe the film industry can pay for it. $147,000 was cut from RAC, the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Chloe Udaly moved to add it back. But then Joanne Hardestine and Amanda Fritz declined to support the motion, arguing that every bureau and line item needed to take a trim. Udaly responded, this is a small amount of money. I'm just baffled by what I'm hearing. And eventually, the budget passed unanimously, as budgets often do, after amendments and some gnashing of teeth. Your daily dose of data. State's total of coronavirus cases, 38-17, and deaths at 145. An inmate, the Oregon State Penitentiary, died on Wednesday while hospitalized. On Thursday, they said only the man was between 50 and 60 years old. The State Penitentiary, Oregon's only maximum security prison, is the epicenter of the disease in the state prison system. As of Thursday, 115 inmates and 26 workers there had tested positive for the illness and makes it the biggest outbreak in the state overall. A total of 148 inmates have tested positive for the virus statewide, and Oregon houses more than 14,000 inmates across 14 institutions. And Washington State has lost hundreds of millions of dollars to unemployment fraud. According to Washington's Employment Security Department, imposters have used the stolen information of thousands of people in the state to fraudulently get hundreds of millions of dollars in unemployment benefits. The state is now working with federal law enforcement, financial institutions, and the Department of Labor to investigate the fraud. The state is also attempting to recover the money paid out. In addition to other measures the agency has taken, they will continue to delay payments to all applicants in order to take extra steps to verify claims. Previously, applicants set up for direct deposit received their money within 24 to 48 hours. Now they're going to need to wait an additional two days. 
Seattle Times reported that the U.S. Secret Service alert identified Washington as a top target of a Nigerian fraud ring seeking to commit large-scale fraud against state unemployment insurance programs. More than 1.1 million people in Washington have filed for unemployment benefits, and more than a billion dollars was paid out last week to 565,764 individual claims. To date, Washington state has paid out nearly $3.8 billion in benefits to more than 768,000 people. Not sure how many of them yet were Nigerian princes. Someday, local community, remind me to tell you about the story of CMB Livestock. In Portland, the COVID-19 street closures have begun. The Slow Street Safe Streets program is meant to open more space for social distancing. 100 miles of neighborhood greenway streets have big plastic barrels and signs. And some people are complaining. Jonathan Moss of Bike Portland wants to see more done, more built, protected streets for walking and biking, separating the cars physically while connecting active transportation to businesses. Folks in Rose City Park complain that closing off Northeast 53rd was stupid. They worry it'll shift traffic to otherwise quieter streets. Commissioner Chloe Udaly announced the project in April. Is a transportation bureau now the bureau that a mayor could give to a commissioner they want to get some political scars? It certainly happened to Steve Novick and the street fee. Anyhow, the barrels and signs go where the neighborhood greenway streets intersect with busier streets. Meanwhile, nearly 60 Hawthorne Boulevard businesses are supporting a protected bike lane. One thing about fast car traffic whizzing by, it does nothing really good for adjacent storefronts. And Zach Katz, a local activist, is shaking some trees with a healthier Hawthorne project. More on that story at Bike Portland. And the Metro Council is discussing next steps after passing the homeless services measure. The measure is looking to raise upwards of $250 million a year. The first year it might not be $250 million a year because the economy is going down and it's based on taxes. It's a 1% marginal income tax on people earning more than $125,000 annually or couples who earn more than $200,000 annually, as well as a 1% tax on the profits of pretty big businesses, those with annual gross receipts of more than $5 million. The money will be distributed to the tri-county area based on population and will fund services including case management, rental assistance, and addiction and mental health treatment. The criticism of the Portland Tribune and the Oregonian editorial boards was that it wasn't all figured out. Well, Metro has now released a planned timeline for the program's implementation. Starting in June, Metro will work on intergovernmental agreements with local jurisdictions for the program. Member selection of the Oversight Committee will also begin, and the committee will have public meetings. Then, from September to January of next year, local jurisdictions will build their own implementation plans. Tax collection will begin in January. First quarter revenues from the personal income tax will be available April of 2021. Revenues from the business income tax won't be available until April 2022, as they will be annual, said Metro. Services in the Tri-County area aren't expected to be funded by the tax until July of next year. Shmia Fagan has expanded her lead in the Democratic primary for Secretary of State. Results haven't been certified, but she's now up by about 3,800 votes. And Marion and Polk counties have been approved to reopen in Phase 1. The county's applications for reopening were originally rejected last week, citing concerns over increased hospitalizations in the Salem area. Hospitalizations there, though, have seen a downward trend. Remember that Phase 1 allows for some businesses and services to resume while maintaining physical distancing and sanitation standards. Marin County still has one of the state's largest concentrations of the coronavirus. 24 new cases on Wednesday. Also, Clackamas County's application is under initial review, and Washington County has moved up its reopening plans to June 1st. 
Multnomah County has not yet given a date. And speaking of reopenings, Oregon State Parks will soon begin to offer limited camping at many campgrounds, and you don't even have to engage with any Tiger Kings. But note that these openings aren't in time for Memorial Day weekend. Starting June 9th, most parks will be accepting tent and RV camper reservations to stay overnight on a first-come, first-served basis. Camping has been closed at state parks since March 23rd. People who have had their reservations canceled during the March 23rd through June 8th period will be allowed to make new reservations two weeks in advance instead of the normal nine months in advance. We love our parks and campgrounds here in Oregon, I'm telling you. The list of which campgrounds will open on June 9th is still being finalized. We'll get it to you when it's published at the end of May. Spirit Mountain Casino and Lodge in Grand Ron is going to open June 1st at 6 a.m. Nothing like 6 a.m. gambling. If you start your gambling at 6 a.m., I have a hotline to share with you. It's 877-695-4648. Wish it were more memorable, but it's 877-695-4648. Spirit Mountain says it's going to have additional safety measures. They're not going to allow in anybody under the age of 21 during the first phase. They're going to require masks at all table games. Don't steal anything. And they're going to take guest temperatures at the entrances. And the Seaside City Council Wednesday voted to reopen all the hotels and other lodgings at 100% capacity effective May 26th, also at 6 a.m. That's the Tuesday following Memorial Day weekend. You see a trend? They don't want us to go too crazy over Memorial Day weekend. Keep it cool, everybody. We've kept it cool. Our state has one of the lowest infection rates in the darn country. It's because we stay cool. Lodging has been closed there since late March. And also Cannon Beach, they're also reopening lodging right after Labor Day on May 26th. Stay gravy, baby. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Reminder, the best of Portland voting is happening at Willamette Week. Here's Emily Gilliland with What's Next. X-Ray. First up, a focus on Portland election results with Alex Zelensky from the Portland Mercury. So, Alex Zelensky, what's the ratio? You want to start with mayor? You want to start with city council? You want to start somewhere else? Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start. Let's start with mayor. It's gonna be a runoff. The most interesting one, but they're all. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting ones. It's gonna be a runoff, and um, I'm. I know you are watching this as closely as me, but you know the first numbers that came in showed um, that Ted Wheeler, the incumbent, is what what still you know still had a good chunk of the the votes over 50 percent. I think it was around 53 percent, which um, a- ahead of you know, um, Sarah Anarone, who had in the, you know, low 20s, um, and which kind of signaled right off the bat that, okay, maybe, you know, there's not going to be a runoff because, you know, uh, you have to have lower than 50% of a vote to to trigger that. But um, as the day crept on, as Tuesday turned into Wednesday, uh, that percentage point for Ted Wheeler kept dropping to below 50%, which is where we are now. Um, and it's all but guaranteed that that he and Sarah Anarone will, will face each other in a runoff which in November, which uh, is, is pretty rare in Portland history uh, for mayors to, to not win outright in a primary. I think I saw some number this morning that maybe happened eight times since the since the early 80s um and it i know i i think it's great i think challenging um having a challenge having especially for an incumbent mayor having to really um prove himself and and fight a little bit more than just kind of sitting back and and watching the numbers come in which 
you know, it didn't seem like Ted Wheeler's campaign was putting too much effort into their campaign um, and this this primary. And so I'm interested to see kind of what it'll look like for the general and election. And I do want to talk. I do want to talk about the general election. First of all, though, are there any is there any news on any remaining ballots? What is left to be counted? Is it just challenge ballots, a few stragglers? Yep, that's what I hear. Challenge ballots, which are, you know, if someone didn't sign the back of their ballot or they put the uh, mysteriously incorrect signature, um, or folks who are mailing in ballots from, um, not mailing in, but folks who dropped off their ballots in, in different counties, and those counties, it's up to them to send them over this way, um, which is something I didn't know existed. But um, it's about, you know, probably a few thousands left, um, at least in Multnomah County. Uh, statewide, I, I I couldn't say, but um, the numbers that really count in these these local races, um, most all the ballots are in. And the margin right now, it's 49.39. I actually didn't do the math of the total. Well, actually, I can do it really quick. So the total votes cast in the mayor's race, 214,000 votes. He's got 105. To get more than half of that, he'd need a few thousand more votes. Uh, so yeah. it doesn't seem like challenge ballots. There's any chance of challenge. There's going to be a few thousand votes all switch from some candidate right. to to Wheeler out of those challenge ballots. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's it's tricky making the decision, making the call, kind of at this point. But I think it's it seems really unlikely that unless Wheeler has a, a huge pool of supporters who are very bad at signing their envelopes, their ballots. Um, I, I don't think the chances that they're going to totally flip. Um, but it could be. Favorite. I mean, you, we, I don't want to... I mean, yeah, it could be. It could be, and not because not because his voters are particularly bad signers, but just because you could imagine that right. a lot of the, you know, large number of the people who are like, oh, you know, kind of a little bit lazy and filling out that portion of the ballot or the ballot or the kind of person who might just say, oh, we'll just stick with the kind of mayor we got. So w- I want to be a little humble before we try to, you know, True. certify yeah. a ballot, before, certify an election before it's been certified. But the current, uh, the current understanding is what the current understanding is. Moving on into the fall, mm-hmm. Sarah Anarone still gets outvoted two to one by Ted Wheeler. What? How does that race shape up, or what are the key questions in your mind going into the mm-hmm. general election? I think. Um, well, I spoke with Sarah yesterday evening after the news, uh, the results kind of came in, and um, and she spoke to something that seems that's you know my thinking too about where she needs to really refocus is is uh, you know letting people know and having. Portlanders really know who she is. A lot of her, um, her the primary race has really been focused on um, just the anti-Ted Wheeler and really showing um, voters kind of the, maybe the flaws and the gaps in Wheeler's policies and his you know leadership in general. Um, but there hasn't been a ton of focus on Ayanna Ron herself and kind of what she would bring to the table that'd be different, especially since she doesn't have any political background or political experience aside from running campaigns um, and, and political organizing in some ways. But she, um, yeah, I think she, she really needs to prove herself as the leader. Sure, maybe Portlanders don't want to see Ted Wheeler anymore, um, and that's why they chose her or chose someone else, but, but there needs to be a, a mandate as to why you know why her and i think that's um i think that's on both of i think it's on both sarah and ted in the next five months you know i think um this particular scenario with you know voting in the middle of a of a pandemic and having a campaign during a uh, you know a crisis has um benefited incumbents uh 
Ted Wheeler because his name is recognizable, um, because he's on the news almost every night, uh, and he's doing you know a really solid job uh, locally at responding to this crisis. And so it's in his favor right now, I think, to support him and 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 at least without having to put too much effort in, um, you know, he kind of was able to to gather a lot of votes, and it's it'll be interesting to see if that is reflected in that holds in the general election um, and if he decides to put more you know, effort into campaigning up until then. And I want to ask about that as well. First, back to Sarah. Bigger question for her in your mind, and your newspaper endorsed her for the in the primary. Bigger question in your mind for Sarah. Is it why she should be elected or how would she do if given the job? One is a little bit more of a policy question. The other is a little bit more of a management question. Yeah, I think um, I think her work and practice is a bigger question. Uh, how she would do at this particular job, which is unlike many other jobs, including being the mayor in other cities, um, because of our you know specific um, structure of city government. And I think, I mean, you know, if you look to the history, look to Portland's history, um, you have. Bud Clark, who was a mayor with absolutely no um, experience in politics, uh, who did a pretty solid job at running a city, <laughs> um, at least, you know, uh, numbers-wise, you know, didn't... didn't um, you but know, Alex, he that. was a but he was a man, and it, it was... It, therefore, Great point. It must, when you look at the campaign going forward, how do you see the mayor's campaign changing? Presumably, Sarah Anarone will run public again. Uh, presumably, she will work to gather uh, even more individual contributions. She'll end up gathering more individual contributions than any campaign in city history. Uh, and the uh, and I have some idea what her campaign's going to look like. We'll ask her that question, and we'll also observe. Ted Wheeler's got to change his campaign. He was he started out by funding it mostly with five and ten thousand dollar checks. Those are now prohibited. So said not so say not only eighty seven percent of Portland voters, but also the courts of Oregon. So how does Ted Wheeler's campaign change? Or at least and, and Ted Wheeler himself says he's going to abide by those limits, to be clear, uh, whatever, unless maybe there is some new court ruling. How do you think that shapes the mayor's approach to the race? Well, I mean, if you looked at the primary, his primary campaign, um, it's it's you know it very small amount of ads maybe one ad or one or two mailers no TV ads really really tiny online presence uh, yesterday I was trying to track down just his campaign social media pages and it's very hard to find and um, and really few followers and few posts and kind of you know that's the way especially right now in this like pandemic. Um, type uh, election you a lot of you see a lot of candidates really relying on um, on TV ads and online ads and and you know text like Instagram ads and all that but and so I think um, especially as this you know we don't see kind of the stay home orders changing dramatically in the next at least couple months I think um, he needs to really his campaign to at least give the appearance of a more grassroots and a more engaged um, 
campaign. You can't do a handful of checks and a handful of press conferences. I want to just end by saying thank you, Alex Zelinsky, for all your coverage. Let's do it again very soon, and I like to have a little more time. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a fun year. We teased this earlier in the week. Rob Harris and Sarah Wolk are back with results from the Independent Party of Oregon election. Did star voting work? Listen in. The Independent Party of Oregon had a different kind of primary. Now, they didn't have state money. They, as not a major party, they didn't have state money to send out a mail piece to Oregon voters registered with their party, which meant they had to come up with another way. We're going to talk about that other way, which has implications, I think, for city council races, like the one where Dan Ryan and Loretta Smith are moving into a runoff, and three other candidates all had legitimate arguments of being among the strongest candidates in the race. Maybe more than that. Maybe four. The Independent Party is the first third party recognized. It is the uh, third largest political party in the state. And they had their primary. We're going to talk about it. We're joined right now by Rob Harris, co-chair of the Independent Party of Oregon, and Sarah Wolk, the director of campaign, star voting for Eugene Lane County, and executive director of the Equal Vote Coalition. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Are you tired? Yes. Mate, I am absolutely, long month. I am absolutely exhausted. I'm absolutely exhausted, but excited to talk to you. Rob Harris, why are you not tired? Is it because you're not working as hard as Sarah is? <laughs> I, I'm sure that's exactly right. I'm working uh, two days in the office, the rest remotely here at home. So I'm, I'm well rested, Jefferson. Excellent. Rob, let's get in first to your decision. We talked about it the other day, but just the, the briefest version of your decision for the Independent Party's decision to move to an online primary and, and the quickest version of the system you decided to use. Uh, yeah. So the Independent Party started about 2007. For the first uh, several election cycles, we ran our own primaries as minor parties have to do. In uh, 2010, 12, 14, we did an online vote. We also, it's important to note this actually, uh, during those uh, election cycles, we actually would send out a eight-page sort of a journal, our own voters pamphlet produced it, sent it to 40,000 households, and that generated uh, interest in uh, people were able to vote online, and there was also a ballot on the back of that. So we had some participation in 2016 and 18. We were a major party, so we participated in the May primaries, the state-sponsored, state-paid-for uh, major primary uh, elections. And then this year, 2020, we were back to minor party again because of uh, voter registration statistics. Not that we've shrunken, but we've grown, but we're a minor party again. So we went with, again, an online vote. This time we didn't send out the uh, eight-page journal voters pamphlet because because of everything that was going on this year. As you probably heard, there's a virus going on and everything. Um, and so we didn't do that. But we did do a couple things different. Uh, we, we contacted with star voting to do our election using the star voting system. I'll let Sarah explain what that is, but we're very impressed. They, had, they threw in a lot of tech people to do this. They did a great job. It was 100% online, so that probably reduced our participation as well. Uh, but it, it went great. The statistics we got are fantastic, really interesting statistics, and uh, we are really pleased with how the whole thing processed. Not as pleased with, they, with the turnout. It was lower, but partly that's because of those things. How many votes? Before. How many votes? Sarah, Sarah, what was the final number? I don't recall. I think it was 725. Okay, so under a thousand people participated, but still some number of people in this, and it's one of, be one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Sarah. But all right, explain star voting, the briefest version you've been on before, but it's essentially sort of a souped-up version of ranked choice voting is what I just called it. 
um, yeah, kind of RCV 2.0 is what we sometimes say. So star voting is a type of preference voting. It lets you show who you prefer to who instead of just choose one only voting like we're all so familiar with. And with star voting, star stands for score then automatic runoff. And that's exactly how it works. You score candidates from zero up to five stars on your ballot. The two highest scoring candidates are finalists who advance to an automatic runoff, and you don't have to vote again. Your ballot already shows which finalist you preferred if you had a preference, and the finalist who is preferred by more voters wins. So with 700 votes, you get, you know, between 700 and 800 votes, they, uh, folks participated in statewide races, uh, including the Independent Party of Oregon primary, and Rob, what were some of the big results in the race? I think that the takeaways I had in, in the results looking at these are number one, uh, Joe Biden won quite handily in this in the preference preference poll for president. Uh, he he beat Trump quite easily. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's substantial. Uh, but on the state, the two state races, Secretary of State and Treasurer races, the Democrats did not fare well. Um, in both of those, the two finalists were a Republican and an independent party member. Uh, and in one case, the independent, the treasurer race, Mr. Henry, the independent candidate beat uh, the Republican Jeff Goodman in the runoff. And in the secretary of state race, uh, it was um, uh, Kim Thatcher, the Republican who narrowly uh, beat Ken Smith, the independent party candidate. The other big takeaway for me was being non-affiliated is probably the worst thing you can do. Because um, Rich File was the only non-affiliated voter on the entire ballot, and um, he he didn't do well. Uh, so branding makes a difference. Uh, titles make a difference. Parties do make a difference. That seems to be an important takeaway to me. So Rich File thought his path to be able to be Secretary of State was leave his Republican Party, saying either, you know, on face value, what he had to say was, well, we need a, a more nonpartisan Secretary of State. Maybe he thought he might have a hard time beating Kim Thatcher in the Republican primary. He says, you know, I'll, I'll be the independent candidate because I am an independent candidate. And he goes in and he came in last. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I've talked to Rich a lot on that. And he made that decision to leave the Republican Party, not for political purposes, but for moral, ethical and, uh, and you know, personal reasons and he made a, a ethical decision on his own part to do this it turned out it wasn't a very good political decision apparently um, because people still like brands and titles it, it, it's informative they believe it's informative so i think what happened with rich is my two cents is that uh, the republicans who knew him as a republican were turned off a little bit that he left their party the democrats knew he was a republican they weren't going to vote for him potentially and then the independents uh didn't like the non-branded candidate. And Sarah, any other interesting results for you? Any other takeaways that you observed? Absolutely. So with the Independent Party primary for 2020, I think the real winner was really star voting itself. Um, this so, was it's an excellent first... talking point. I appreciate it. looks like you hatched it together with a planning team in advance. Kudos to you. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, um, the reason that we need star voting is um, a phenomenon called the spoiler effect or vote splitting and it's one of the reasons that I think minor parties get such a bad rap in the first place in terms of um, you know don't run third party you'll be a spoiler or don't vote third party you don't want to split the vote so um, when we look at the presidential preference poll 
what we see is a perfect storm for vote splitting. We have two candidates on the left running against a third candidate on the right in a close three-way race. So that's a scenario where generally Biden and Bernie would split the vote, um, electing Trump even if he was preferred, um, even if Trump was opposed by a majority. But with star voting, you see that play out. Um, Trump... um, You there? Yeah. Because, you know, both, like I said, Biden was preferred overall um, to Trump. Bernie was preferred overall to Trump. But if you look at just the first choice votes, like voters who gave a five star to each candidate, Trump had the biggest voting block on his own. Ah, so, so you're if saying it had been choose one only voting, Trump would have won. Ah, that's a helpful illustration. It also appeared to me as I think about the star voting. So there's two things going on here, at least, right? There's the uh, there's the independent party thing in Oregon, which is sort of a, an interesting dynamic because you get people who are engaged in this party and uh, maybe come to the party, maybe come to the primary because they're like, screw these, screw these people in power, whoever the people in power, like screw these people in power. That's why they join a party that's you know called the independent party potentially. The other uh, piece of that dynamic is, is that unfair? Is that an accurate? I, I don't want to. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Rob. <laughs> I, I think there's certainly a strong sentiment. Uh, a lot of these people, our members, are highly engaged. They're pretty well informed, but, but they're maybe cynical or they're unhappy or they don't see the people in Salem uh, doing or passing wi- widely popular platforms uh, in planks like the campaign finance reform. So they get frustrated. Yes. And then the other thing going on is star voting. And to me, Sarah, one of the one of the big if star voting was a winner, if instant runoff voting of some new form of selecting candidates as a winner in this last election, one of the reasons is looking at how all these crowded city council races in Portland, for example, where exactly. where you moved on with nineteen or sixteen percent of the vote, and a candidate who might have been like we'll never know, but you know it might it might have been that. Uh, Tara Hurst or Sam Chase uh, or Julia DeGraw might have, in fact, been one of the most popular candidates in that race, but wasn't the first Mm -hmm. choice, you know, was only the first choice of 11 or 14 percent instead of 16 or 19 percent. Exactly. Yeah, that position two city council race is a perfect storm for choose one only voting. You know, um, not only can somebody advance with a very small percentage of the vote, but you have a lot of similar candidates. Um, splitting things like the progressive vote or splitting, um, you know, the female vote or splitting the East Portland vote or those kinds of factors really come into play. Um, Position two was also really interesting um, from a star voting advocate perspective because we had three of the candidates in the race um, endorsing star voting. So Julia DeGraw, Margot Black, and Jazz Davis, all three of those are strong advocates for star voting and voting reform. And all three did take an opportunity um, at different points in time to really point out, you know, these types of races are a perfect example of why our current system doesn't work. Rob Harris, thank you so much for being with us. Sarah Wolk, thank you so much also for being with us and for your work on trying to shake up voting systems a little bit. We appreciate your time being with us both before the election and to do a little bit of wrap-up after. Thank you, yeah, Jeff. Thank Appreciate you. the opportunity. Thanks for covering the story. Be well. After the interview, Rob Harris followed up to say that in 2016, the Independent Party was a major party. 
They asked the Secretary of State not to include the President of the United States on that May primary, but she did anyway, and Donald Trump did win that vote. But the members' preference poll used approval voting, and in that preference poll, Bernie Sanders had the most votes, with Trump and Clinton in a virtual tie. Thanks, Alex, Sarah, and Rob for joining The Local, and a big thanks to our production team. The super-powered Will Romy, DJ Ambush, Casey Colton, Kate Kay, Julie Oppenheimer, Joey Palchik, Miranda Selinger, Ryder Sherwood, and Jamie Zhang will also co-executive producer. Also thanks to co-executive producer Emily Gilliland. And thanks for original journalism. Go to the Lund Report, Oregon Health Authority, COVID19.healthdata.org, the Portland Business Journal, The Lambent Week, Pamplin Media, OPB, The Oregonian, Statesman Journal, Bike, Portland Street Roots, COIN, KGW, KPDV, and News Partners Bridgeliner, and the Portland Mercury. I'm Jefferson Smith, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. We got a Facebook page. Please like us if you got story ideas. Send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. Talk to you on Monday. In the meantime, stay home. Maybe go outside. Stay connected. And thank you, democracy. X-Ray.